1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, and here is your top five at five. President Joe Biden officially taking office and wasting no time getting down to work. We are live in D.C. laying out the top priorities for the new administration. Markets welcoming the new White House with open arms and big money as stocks hit record highs across the board. The Biden administration getting an offer from one tech giant to help with its promise to roll out 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. United pledging more cost-cutting measures as pandemic problems continue to hammer the airline's bottom line. Jay-Z looking to help minority entrepreneurs breaking into the cannabis business the new multi-million dollar initiative, it is Thursday, January 21st, and this is Robotic Change. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Everybody, hello, and good to be back with you at least for one day on this Thursday, Here's how your money and the markets look right now at this 5 a.m. hour. futures, they are mixed, mildly higher, though. All this after the S&P 500 and NASDAQ rose one5 and 2% yesterday. By the way, marking a new record for an inauguration day. We'll tell you more about that soon. All three indexes are now at record highs again. The markets are doing so far on this holiday shortened week. The Dow is up more than 1%, while the S&P and NASDAQ are up even more, 2 and 3.5% respectively. Of course, we are also in the midst of earnings season. And today, another big day. You get results from IBM, Intel, CSX, and Union Pacific. And while we may be only 21 days into 2021, we've been crunching the numbers on the top three hottest stocks in the S&P 500 so far this year. All three are up about 30% or more just this year. They are names you know, but they might not be names that you expect to top the leaderboard. Who are they? Well, we're going to show you later on in the show. We call that ATs. All right, let's go now around the world, worldwide. Asia mostly getting a boost on the back of Wall Street's rise. A Nikkei in Japan and Shanghai climbing around 1%, while the South Korean Kospi up 1.5%, the Hang Seng dipping slightly in China. And let's take a look at the early trade in Europe as well. We are not seeing huge moves either way. But of course, if we do, we'll bring that to you. Well, let's top it off with this. To the development on the Biden administration's bid to get more vaccines out to more Americans and one technology companies offer to help. Raheel Solomon has more on that and some of this morning's other top stories. Good morning, Rahel.
2: Hi, Brian. Good morning. So yes, that would be Amazon offering the new administration help in its bid to distribute COVID vaccines. NBC has learned that President Biden received a letter from the company's CEO of Worldwide Consumer Business, saying that it's ready to leverage its operations to help the administration with its goal of vaccinating 100 million Americans in its first 100 days. And the offer comes as the company tries to get priority access to vaccines for its frontline workers. China's three biggest telecommunication companies have reportedly asked for a review of the decision by the New York Stock Exchange to delist their shares, so according to Bloomberg, and filings in Hong Kong, China Mobile, China Unicom and China Telecom have all said that they've appealed the decision by the NYSE, which was triggered by an executive order issued by former President Trump. That report adding that the companies admit there's no guarantee the request to review will be successful. And take a look at shares of United Airlines uh, under pressure this morning following its fourth quarter results uh, down about 2 percent in pre-market. So the company posing its fourth straight quarterly loss and says that it expects first-quarter revenue to be down 65 to 70% from the same time in 2019. United says that it expects to surpass its pre-pandemic margins by 2023, but also warned that sales will suffer early this year as the health crisis continues. In the meantime, don't miss United CEO live on Squawk Box that's coming up at 8 Eastern. Brian, I'll send it back to you.
1: All right, Rahel, thank you very much. We'll see you in a bit. Well, now to D.C. as President Joe Biden prepares for his first full day on the job as commander in chief and wasting no time in getting down to business, signing off on a series of executive orders following his inauguration. Tracy Potts joining us now from D.C. Good morning, Tracy.
0: Brian, good morning. So investors may want to pay attention. He is signing these orders fast and furious and more are coming today. But some of the things that he wants to do, like move vaccine quicker, uh, you and Rahel were talking about that. Some of those things are going to require Congress's approval.
3: President of the United States and will the
0: Biden administration's first full day. We're not wasting any time. Promising at last night's inaugural celebration to meet the moment.
3: The pandemic economic crisis, racial injustice,
1: the climate crisis, and threats to our very democracy.
0: President Biden signed more than a dozen executive orders on day one, ending the Muslim travel ban, stopping border wall construction, requiring masks on federal property, and rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and World Health Organization.
3: There's no time to start like today.
0: More orders are coming to help schools and businesses reopen and reverse the ban on transgender persons in the military. He's already getting pushback from some Republicans.
1: But I didn't find any of the orders that I agreed with, and I think many of the orders that he came forward with will lead to unemployment.
0: President Biden needs Congress to pass his immigration bill, creating a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants to approve his $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan and to confirm his cabinet nominees for transportation and defense are being considered today do you solemnly swear vice president kamala harris promising to carry out his vision on capitol hill the courage to see beyond crisis to do what is hard to do what is good she's the tiebreaker in what's already shaping up to be a fierce battle in the senate Now, President Biden is extending some Trump policies like the ban on evictions. Renters now protected until March and student loan payments, not having to pay those federal student loans now until the end of September. Brian, it will be interesting to see today how the markets react to that extension.
1: Right now, we are seeing futures mixed to slightly higher, but we will certainly pay attention to it. Tracy Potts in D.C. Tracy, thank you very much. Well, Tracy mentioned the market. So why don't we get back to them now? And stocks are hovering at all time highs, all amid President Biden's inauguration and the prospect of nearly two trillion in new stimulus. But your next guest warns it may be time for you to moderate your expectations. Robert Teeter is the managing director and head of investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management. And he joins us now. Uh, Robert, why do you think now might be the time to be if not taking money off the
4: table, at least a little bit cautious. Yeah, that's right. I think cautious is the right word. I think being selective is important here. A couple of signals that we look to first is that the S&P is 14% above its pre-COVID highs. That shows we've come a long way. Uh, We still have some work to do on COVID recovery, but the market's gotten pretty far ahead of that. We also see some signals in things like lower price stocks doing very well since the vaccine news, non-earners, lower quality companies doing well. So all of that points to the fact that we've come a long way really fast since early November. It's time to maybe take a pause, revisit allocations, and be careful and selective in terms of what you own. And what is the biggest risk right now, do you think, Robert? Well, I think investors rightly have their eye on inflation. You know, one of the things supporting valuation here is low interest rates. Uh, with a 10-year around 1% and dividend yields more like one5 stocks look pretty compelling. Uh, But investors really rightfully have their eye on inflation as a risk factor that could emerge. It's possible that we get a brief inflation scare somewhere along the year. Uh, You've got tips at 2 percent. Fed's expectations are 2 percent. Consensus is 2 percent. So if we come in with an inflation print above 2 percent, that's going to catch some attention and, and might spook investors briefly. Um, however, we think this economy has got a lot of capacity in it. It's shown itself to be very elastic on the supply side, able to expand and adjust and unlock productivity. Uh, so we don't think any inflation concerns are likely to be long lived.
1: You know, we got a story on CNBC.com. Legendary investor Jeremy Grantham thinks that the markets have gotten ahead of themselves and that investors need to be cautious. What do you think? Have we gotten ahead of ourselves? Are valuations too optimistically pricing in this return to normal and And boom, out of the pandemic in the second half of the year?
4: Well, I think there are pockets of that. But overall, when we look at valuation and you think about a a calendar year, we've looked back over the past 60 years. A typical year sees uh, P.E. up or down by about three points. That would be a 10 to 15 percent move from here. Uh, We think that's pretty normal. I don't think valuation is going to be a tailwind, but I think it's it's well supported here. And so I think when you look ahead that you have to find those areas of opportunity. And we're certainly seeing some of those. There are pockets of the market where uh, higher percentages of stocks are still pretty far away from their 52-week high. And those are probably the places you want to be looking for opportunity.
1: The hottest place in the entire market has been small caps. They're up 30% in the last couple of months. Are you a believer? Are you a buyer, Robert, of the small caps?
4: I do think there's still opportunity in small cap. Have to be careful. A large percentage of the small cap uh, index is, is companies that aren't making money that are non-earners. So you have to be careful in terms of sorting through it. But there's still a lot of opportunity there. That's one of the uh, index benchmarks that has a very high percentage of companies that are still very far away from 52-week highs. And so there is still room to go in that particular area uh, so long as you're careful and selective.
1: All right. Robert Teeter still bullish on the small cap space overall. Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, thank you very much for coming on the program. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you. All right. Well, we are just getting started. There is so much still to do on this Thursday morning. We come back. Oil prices surging lately and will building out billions in renewable energy actually help oil prices move even higher. Goldman Sachs, head of energy research, is here. Plus, The former Obama-era official President Biden will reportedly tap to oversee the country's biggest banks. And your morning RBI is back and we talk stocks and the inauguration and why yesterday was indeed historical, but maybe not for the reason you might think.
5: What does it mean to be rich?
6: All right, welcome back to
1: Worldwide Exchange. Well, all through the show today, we are laying out the top three hottest stocks in the S&P 500 this year. And we're going to count you down. Three, two, one. And let's start right now. With the third best performing stock so far in 2021, it is early in the year, but CarMax, KMX, is up nearly 30% to start 2021. The used car seller surging this year. Car sales, they have been hot. Everybody wants to commute alone rather than take mass transit as they go back to the office. CarMax upgraded yesterday at North Coast Research. So who exactly are the two and one hottest stocks of the year? Well, the big reveals are coming up later on in this show. Well, oil prices are slipping a bit right now. This after data from the American Petroleum Institute shows a surprise build in inventories last week. That is renewing a little bit of concern about fuel demand. But... Goldman Sachs expects that Saudi Arabia's upcoming production cut, remember the Saudi surprise of a million barrels a day, will neutralize some of that demand weakness, and they see Brent crude rising to 65 bucks a barrel this summer. Let's talk now more about it from one of the guys who made that call. That is Damien Kervilin. He is head of energy research and senior commodity strategist at Goldman Sachs. Damien, welcome. Good to chat with you again. Are you surprised by the I, – I know you were bullish – But are you surprised how strong the oil markets have been the last couple of weeks?
7: We've learned three lessons this year that help explain why oil is off to such a strong start. First, we had this surprising Saudi cut. As you mentioned, it helped offset the lockdowns um, that are spreading across Europe and Asia. Um, Second, uh, the outcome of the U.S. election means more stimulus, more oil demand. Over the next couple of years in the US. And third, shale producers have reiterated again their commitment to discipline. So, with a large impulse from vaccines and a lagged supply response, we're fast forwarding the rally to uh, $65 prices in our view.
1: Damien, connect the dots between stimulus and oil demand.
7: So, there are two key policies being put in place globally policies to help the economic recovery and fight income inequality, and policies uh, to achieve a greener economy. Now, the stimulus, ultimately, whether it's in Europe, in the US, and China, includes support for both policies. When you focus on incomes, you're supporting commodity consumption. You take your bottom third of the income distribution. And there, roughly half of your spending is on energy, food, capital goods. So supporting income is supporting commodity consumption. On the investment side, sure, the green economy will consume less oil, but to build it, you initially need a lot more diesel trucks. So when you look at the amount of stimulus and where it's being spent, it's in areas that will directly support energy consumption and will lead to a fast normalization in oil demand especially when coupled with the benefits of vaccination.
1: Yeah, and we know that this administration wants to pour billions or hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars into renewable energy, wind, solar, hydro, whatever it may be. I read your last report with interest, Damien, because it seemed to suggest that a push for renewables might also stimulate fossil fuel demand in the near term. Is that accurate?
7: Exactly, right. If you think about the deployment of renewables today, um, what it is achieving is a displacement of coal of nuclear generation, for example. What is missing, though, is the path through for that renewable power to displace transportation demand. And the key really are electrical vehicles. Their sales are exploding, but they remain a tiny percentage of the existing fleet. So as activity picks up, we still need, as I mentioned, those diesel trucks and consumers still, uh, for the very mass majority, drive gasoline cars. Um, So really what you're seeing is oil demand support that is not uh, destroyed by renewable investment yet over the long term, yes. The second component as well is the incentive to invest in renewables to some extent is cannibalizing the dollars that typically would have been spent on oil supply. Look at the majors, right, diverting CAPEX from oil projects to renewable projects. That contributes to this uh, binding underinvestment in oil supply that will matter once demand recovers and, as uh, we argue, require higher prices to make this essential uh, commodity balance in 21, 22, and beyond.
1: Damien Kervalin of Goldman Sachs. Damien, some really interesting perspectives, but we would expect nothing less. Damien, thank you very much. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right, on deck. Twitter on the hot seat again, putting the freeze on yet another political account. Details on the policy violations that forced the company's hand ahead. Dow Futures up 36. We're back after this. Today's big number, 58%. That's how much the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained since President Trump was inaugurated in 2017 through his last day in office yesterday. The
0: Dow made 126 new all-time highs in that period.
3: Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
6: of a detour. All
2: right, welcome back
1: and good morning. Well, on today's show, we're going to show you the three hottest stocks in the S&P 500 so far in this early 2021. We just showed you the third best performer, CarMax. Up nearly 30% to start the year. Now comes number two. Do you think you know it? I'll bet you don't. It's Occidental Petroleum. That's right. The big oil producer, up 33% just this year and up 128% in the last 90 days. It is well off its October low of about $9 to $23 today, but still well off its highs of $85 a share three years ago. But either way, a very solid start to the year for Oxy, up 30. Three percent. So what company is the number one best performing S&P 500 stock so far in this early 2021? Well, that name ahead. All right. But right now, let's take a step outside of the world of money and business, including apparently one huge winner hitting last night's big Powerball drawing. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Was the winning ticket sold in suburban New Jersey, Francis?
6: You got to wait, Brian, you got to wait. I got other headlines to get to before we get to that. So we'll pump the brakes a little bit and I'll fill you in. All right. Good morning to you at home. Uh, the headlines this morning the Senate has overwhelmingly confirmed Avril Haines as the next director of national intelligence. She is the first official member of President Biden's cabinet. Haines will lead the nation's 18 intelligence agencies and is the first woman to hold the position. And according to CNN, Trump allies in the Senate are warning Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to stick with former President Trump during his impeachment trial, saying, his support will evaporate. Otherwise, Senator McConnell said that the president provoked the mob that was behind the siege on the Capitol earlier this month. All right, Brian, here you go. Last night's $731 million Powerball has a single winner, that one winning ticket not sold in Southern New Jersey. Sorry. But in the state of maryland it matched all the numbers of last night's massive jackpot it is the fourth largest grand prize in powerball history and the first winner of the game since september so if you're like one of us the many who didn't win we got the mega millions jackpot on friday that's worth 970 million so you got your chance with that one brian
1: well maybe it's my brother and sister-in-law in maryland if so i hope that they share francis what happens you win 7:30, of course after taxes one time Maybe they throw $500 million in your checking account. What's the first thing you do?
6: Not tell a single person. Hide that ticket. <laughs> Hide that ticket. I was talking with Don yesterday. Would you go back to work if you won?
1: Oh, absolutely. I love my job. I'd probably be wearing like a solid gold suit, and I'd do the show for my yacht, <laughs> but I would still do it.
6: All right. We can dream. Kansas. We can dream. We got Friday.
1: We, we can dream. And I, let's hope it's a, d- down there and there suburban maryland for the for the my brother and sister-in-law francis thank you very much appreciate sure, it you. all right good luck to whoever that is yeah and call a lawyer and don't tell anybody all right still on deck president biden getting down to work shaping his administration's agenda lon boy standing by to lay out the big policy plans by the new white house and what do i mean for your money dow futures up 33 we're back after this A new year and new records again for stock futures. They are higher right now as the hopes of a big stimulus and a faster return to normal power, new money into equities. President Biden said to begin his first full day of work. We'll head to Washington and talk about the first things on his to-do list and what it might mean for your money. And the war against COVID, cases starting to fall as the vaccines roll out. Could we see an end to this sooner than many think? Top-rated Morgan Stanley analyst Matthew Harrison will join us live on this Thursday, January twenty-first, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back, and good morning. I am Brian. Some little of you two to start your day there. Thanks very much for joining us, everybody. Well, here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through the. 5 a.m. hour on this Thursday. Stock futures, they are in the green, not up a lot. Dow futures would implied open up 33, but hey, we are in the green nonetheless, and pretty much every gain is going to be a new record. This after the S&P 500 and NASDAQ rose one5 and 2% yesterday, all amid the inauguration. The prospects of new stimulus as well, maybe up to $2 billion. All three indexes are at record highs. The markets are doing well so far in this holiday shortened trading week as well. The Dow is up, but the NASDAQ has really been the star. It is up 3.5%. There's been a rotation out of tech, but this week we've seen a lot of money come back into technology. Well, throughout the show this morning, we've been working our way through the top three hottest stocks so far of the year. I know it's early, but hey, why not have a little fun because a lot of stocks are up bigly in 2021. The top three stock, CarMax, up just under 30%. Number two, Jim Cramer nailed it just now on Twitter. He said, maybe your oils, it is an oil. Occidental Petroleum, up just under 33% this year, up 128% in the last 90 days. But the single hottest stock in the S&P 500, do you think you got it? I'll bet you don't. It is General Motors. That's right, GM, up 34% so far this year. The automaker stock soaring to another record this week after announcing a partnership with Microsoft on driverless cars. This division inside of GM called Cruise kind of coming out of nowhere, shocking everybody as a big-time value unlock. And GM shares unlocking a lot of value for their shareholders. GM, you go Detroit, up 34%. You notice the trend? Car, oil, car to start 2021. All right, now to some of this morning's other top headlines and stories. Rahel is back with those and more. What do you got for us, Rahel?
2: Hi, Brian. Well, Twitter has apparently locked the account of China's embassy in the U.S., the social media company says that a tweet about Uyghur women violated its policy against dehumanization. The ethnic Uyghurs are a Muslim minority living in western China. In uh, earnings news, Discover Financial posting better-than-expected results for its latest quarter. You can see shares are down about 1.2 percent in pre-market. The credit card company also reporting a smaller provision for credit losses. Again, the stock trading lower this morning, but off-record highs. And turning to Washington, President Biden is expected to nominate Michael Barr as comptroller of the currency that, according to The Wall Street Journal, so the role oversees about 1,200 banks. Barr worked in President Obama's Treasury Department and helped put together the Dodd-Frank Act. You are now up to date, Brian.
1: All right, well, thank you very much. Well, why don't we stay right there on D.C. News, where President Biden will begin his first full day as the nation's commander-in-chief today. He is expected to sign 10 executive orders today, focused on fighting the COVID pandemic. Among those orders, a requirement for people to wear masks in airports and on many trains, airplanes, and buses, as well as federal buildings, the establishment of a COVID testing board, which will focus on dealing with shortfalls as well, and directing FEMA to use disaster relief funds to reimburse states for costs associated with emergency supply efforts, as well as costs related to opening schools. Elon Moy joining us now live from D.C. with more. Good morning, Elan.
5: Well, Brian, there is a strong desire in Washington on both sides of the aisle to turn the page to a new administration and a new president. But the question that's still hanging out there is, what is going to happen to the old one? Democrats have vowed to hold an impeachment trial for President Trump over incitement of insurrection. And to start that process, Democrats have to actually walk the article of impeachment from the House to the Senate. Now, we're hoping to get a little bit more clarity on exactly when that might happen once House Speaker Nancy Pelosi holds her press conference later this morning. But the timing is tricky because the Senate may not be able to conduct other business once the trial begins. the very least, Democrats don't want to distract from Biden's agenda, even as they try to hold President Trump accountable. Now, last night at the very first White House press briefing of the new administration, spokeswoman Jen Psaki said that Biden is confident that Congress can carry out both its legislative and constitutional duties.
2: That means uh, getting this COVID relief package through, having Democrats and Republicans take a serious look at that and have conversations with each other about how to move it forward. And he's going to leave the mechanics, the timing and the specifics of how Congress moves forward on impeachment to them.
5: But Republicans begged to differ. They're arguing that it would take 100 senators' unanimous consent in order for the Senate to do other business during the trial. Top GOP Senator John Cornyn tweeted, POTUS called for unity, taking him at his word. And Brian, as to whether the Senate can multitask during the trial, Cornyn just tweeted, nope, back to you.
1: Well, short answer there. All right, let's get back to this trial, On How long could this trial theoretically take?
5: Well, Democrats have been floating the idea that the trial might only last a couple of days, certainly less than a week. So this may not be a problem for very long in terms of Biden's agenda and the Senate impeachment trial colliding. Senator Lindsey Graham has suggested that the trial could begin as soon as Monday. And I will say, Brian, that the Senate Finance Committee has scheduled a vote on Janet Yellen's nomination for Treasury Secretary on Friday. They're hoping to get a full Senate floor vote for her later on that day as well. So that would suggest that the trial will not start before uh, this week, business week is over. Back to you.
1: All right. Good. St- yeah. A lot, a lot going on here to start the year and the new administration of president number 46, Joe Biden. Elon Moy, thank you very much. All right. So now let's connect the dots, get back to the markets and what you should expect from an investor's perspective on the new president's economic agenda. Joining us now is BNY Mellon Investment Management Chief Strategist, Alicia Levine. Alicia, welcome. Good to see you again. Reading your notes, You're talking about the three R's, recovery, what are the other two, and why do they matter for the overall markets?
8: Well, the other two are reopening and and rotation, and they're linked, of course, because we're at the beginning of the cyclical recovery. Not just recovery started because of helicopter money that was being spent as people were locked down, But we're really looking at steeper yield curves and higher yields across the board and increasing inflation expectations. And as we've seen, that has deep implications for asset classes and the rotation into the value trade and the cyclical trade and small caps. Small caps look terrific. So that's what investors are looking at. I think this issue of 100 million doses of shots in 100 days is going to be a shorthand way that the market is going to judge the success of the Biden program in getting us all back to normal. And as you know, Brian, you know, we have a joke in this industry, you don't put a number and a timeline together in the same sentence. Um, and so the administration has done that. And I think we're going to see whether or not the, the speed with which they hope to do this is achievable when there's clearly a last mile problem.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. We are, we, we are almost on that pace right now. I mean, we're about at 900,000 per day, so you, my, I'm not very good at math. But if you have a million a day over 100 days, there you go. We're, we're just under that. We need to ramp it up just a bit. Because, Alicia, I think what you're saying is, as we've said for months now, the only economic data that really matters is the health data, because health data is the economic data.
8: That's right. And the market is pricing in a return to normal by the third quarter. And so we really need to stay on the timeline. And in addition, you know, California, New York, other high GDP states have really locked down and and constrained economic activity because of the spread. So you start from first principles again, and that's containing the virus and that's getting people vaccinated. So that's something the market's looking at, but also the market's looking at earnings and the market's looking at stimulus. And those are the three big things. So earnings are coming in much better than expected. I think earnings expectations need to be uh, moved higher for the second half of the year because revenue often grows arithmetically. But earnings can grow geometrically. And we saw that on the way down and it will be the same thing on the way up. The market's looking at earnings. And then on top of that, the promise of stimulus. $1.9 trillion is about double what Wall Street was expecting for a rescue package. And that, as you Mm -hmm. see, has really ignited animal spirits in the consumer sectors.
1: Yeah, speaking of animals, I mean, I feel like I should have an eagle or maybe an owl at this hour. I don't know, Alicia, on my shoulder because I love this country. I want this country to do so well. And our stock market has done well. But, you know, we've both been doing this a while. You look at valuations. I'm not saying they're looking toppy. It's not my job, but we've made a lot of money lately. Are there any better opportunities outside of the United States? We rarely talk about emerging markets anymore. There's, there's a lot of markets that have been ignored. And I just wonder if their multiples are a little more attractive than ours, maybe.
8: Yeah that that's right. So so the the kind of the pain trade for the last decade was emerging markets and really overseas markets because the US market really uh took over the entire conversation in the investing universe particularly as the dollar strengthened. And so investing overseas requires a view on US currency. And so we think that the US dollar goes weaker because we have ton of liquidity in the system from the Fed and from the U.S. government on the fiscal side. And with a weaker U.S. dollar, emerging markets look very attractive. So we think that's an interesting place. We think developed Europe and the U.K. The U.K. is one of our favorite markets right now. It's a little bit counterintuitive. I think the U.K. is a really great place to invest Mm. capital. And small caps, small caps are not done. Small caps on the way out of um, a recession tend to outperform for close to 18 months. So uh, small caps are not done. They may take a pause because of the speed with which they've moved. But we like the small cap space. And, of course, tech. We're digitizing. PEs will come in as, as yields move higher, but earnings are going to propel forward. And so that's what's going to get your stocks higher. Not so much the PEs, what, what? but the earnings.
1: You talk about the U.K. and and health data being economic data, Alicia. The U.K. is the only large country that has done better than us in their vaccine rollout. You got Israel, Bahrain and the UAE. They're they're small nations, the U.K. and then us. So the U.K. is actually maybe that's a reason to be bullish on that market as well. And I am told in my ear by my producer that you whispered to him that you guessed GM correctly as the top performing S&P 500, this st- or did you peak?
8: No, I didn't peak, I guess. I knew it was a couple of autos and, and oil because you can see the outperformance of those old economy, sort of not sexy sectors that are really powering the market this year. I mean, already they've outperformed the top five tech stocks, not including Tesla. But it, you know, the old economy stocks linked to the transition from fossil fuel economy to a more sustainable green economy is going to have enormous, enormous consequences for those old sectors, as you said in a previous segment. Well, we're going to be using more oil right here.
1: We're probably using more oil around the world in the next 20 years. I know people don't like to hear it, but when you look at population growth, whatever it might be, that's the that's the reality of fossil fuels maybe not in San Francisco and parts of Boston but certainly around the world you know Alicia we appreciate it great guest by the way great job we'll see you soon take care
8: thank thanks Brian good morning
1: all right good morning thank you or as i call it good evening all right coming up your morning rbi here's a hint it has to do with dc and your money but don't worry it's not about politics it's what stocks did yesterday that they've never done before leading up to an inauguration. Dow futures, they're in the green. Worldwide exchange is back right after this. All right, welcome back and good morning. Well, our friend and colleague Jim Kramer hitting us up. The guy does not sleep, by the way. Hitting us up on Twitter this morning about the top three stocks of the year. And he highlights Ford and whether that would make the list. Well, it might after today. Now, GM is the top stock this year. We just showed you that, up 34%. But Ford, their blue oval up there in Dearborn, not far behind, especially with that. Look at that. Ford is up 3.5% right now. Big pre-market move for Ford. That makes Ford up 28% this year. It's up 40% in the last three months. So GM and Ford, maybe a good year for Detroit, maybe a good year for Michigan. And either way, the blue oval, Ford, up 3.5% in the pre-market. I'm I'm not going to lie. I have no idea why this stock is up 3.5% right now. People smarter than me probably do. But either way, good start to the year, good start to the day for Ford. All right, well, I am back at least for today. And so is the morning RBI, the most random but interesting thing you'll hear all day. And this one has to do with the inauguration, but not about politics. It's about what we do, and that is the stock market. And we know the last few weeks have been strong. But do you know how strong they have been? Well, Ryan Dietrich at LPL Financial ran some historical numbers and look at this. The period between the election and the inauguration yesterday, the S&P 500 rose 14%. And that is the best return for that index between the election and the inauguration. Since the inauguration was moved to January from March, up 14%. JFK and Bill Clinton's second term tied at exactly an 8.8% return for the S&P 500. And you like Ike? Well, he came in, I'll call it third, because it was tied at 6.3% gain between the election and the inauguration. By the way, before the inauguration was moved, it would have been Herbert Hoover, but that's a terrible analogy, and it was in March, so we'll forget about that. By the way, a bonus RBI, courtesy of our own market guru, Robert Hum. yesterday was the first time ever that the S&P 500 has risen more than 1% on the inauguration day. Not a political statement. We are, of course, seeing the end, hopefully, to this terrible pandemic relatively soon, and also talking about a nearly $2 trillion stimulus plan So maybe not a surprise we have been so strong, but either way, congratulations to our new president. We wish you, and of course the entire country, whatever your political stripe, well, and as you can say that as far as stocks go, the last few weeks has made number 46 number one. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, when we come back on deck, the new administration looking to ramp up vaccinations in the U.S., Morgan Stanley analyst Matthew Harrison is here to break down where we really stand in vaccination. And if you have not already, why not? Subscribe to our new podcast on all the major podcast platforms. There it is. Forget about the picture. Don't worry about that. Subscribe anyway. We're back. Dow futures up 30%. Stick around. All right, welcome back and good morning. Let's talk about something very important now, and that is the progress of the vaccine rollout and the state of COVID in the United States. And for that, let's bring in once again Matthew Harrison, analyst at Morgan Stanley. He and his team have been doing amazing work for the last number of months, tracking everything from cases to vaccinations to their prognosis. Matthew, we're glad that you're back on the program right now. Thank you very much. A uh, lot of debate right now about exactly where we stand. I know everybody wants it to happen further, but In terms of a global list, the United States is actually the fifth best country in terms of vaccination as a percent of the population. Israel, UAE, Bahrain, the UK, and then us. We've got to ramp it up a bit. Where do you think we stand now and where are we going on vaccinations?
3: Brian, the the good news is that we're doing better. So if you go back about two weeks, we had been using the high 20 percent of all the vaccinations that had been shipped had actually gotten into people's arms. As of yesterday, we were north of 50 percent. So that number keeps going up. Um, And I think the hope is that as we've expanded the number of people that are eligible, that that number can keep going up. So we're headed in the right direction. Obviously, it's been a slow start, but uh, I'm hopeful that uh, we can get that number uh, higher in the weeks to come.
1: Yeah. And listen, I know it's impossible to talk about this without sounding like, you know, we're being negligent on all the lives that are lost, the people that have suffering. That is certainly not the case. And there's any case is too many cases. But the reality is, Matthew, we have seen some positive trends lately, have we not? As you've noted, the epidemic doubling pace has grown by about 30 days. 144,000 cases two days ago, the second lowest number outside of Christmas and Thanksgiving Day, because that's a testing issue since early November. Are we not seeing some positive trends despite all the tough headlines we're also still seeing?
3: The thing I watch the most, Brian, is hospitalizations, because as you well pointed out, we've had a lot of holidays even this past week, right, we, a lot of people had Monday off and, and testing volumes were down. Um, but if you look at hospitalizations, we've seen a recent peak in hospitalizations. Um, and so for me, that's at least a good near term sign. We have to see if it continues. But I agree with you that it looks like we may be starting to plateau.
1: Yeah. And the pandemic, as you have noted, contracting in 45 states, still a lot of states like California, where they have certainly a lot of problems. Let's talk about the big issue, Matthew, and that is, of course, the vaccines, Uh, you know, and people, they they want them now. I get it. We all want it right now. There's a lot of bottlenecks and people are confused. More doses are out there than have been administered. Where are the doses right now? Where do you where do you think the vaccinations across? I know it's a state issue. But on a macro level, where do you think the vaccinations are going to go? Can we ramp it up?
3: Yes, I think we can. I think we can ramp it up. So uh, there are two issues, right, that you're talking about. One, obviously, is production. And production, fortunately, has generally been in line with what the companies have been guiding in terms of their ability to deliver doses. Uh, The second issue, as you pointed out, though, is once they get shipped to the localities, Uh, converting those into people's arms has been slower than I think a lot of people hope. But as I noted earlier on, we've moved that rate up from about 25% to 50% over the last two weeks. So I think the hope is that that number can go higher in the near term. Um, And then the third thing, uh, which maybe we'll get to, but um, we may be able to help on the production side because there are a couple more vaccines that could read out in the next couple weeks. And if they can uh, be added to the list, uh, you could unlock an additional hundreds of millions of doses, which could obviously speed things up.
1: The, the, and that and that is huge. And I understand there's the COVID variants right now, B one one seven, but it sounds like the vaccinations, at least we believe, should be should be effective against those. Do you have a number, Matthew? And I know you know we talk about herd immunity, and it's a misunderstood concept. And we want everyone who wants to get vaccinated to be vaccinated. But you don't need the entire nation. And as as an epidemiologist friend of mine actually said, every vaccination is really two. You vaccinate the person against getting sick, and then you likely vaccinate them from getting other people sick because it's unlikely, highly unlikely, that they will be transmitters. Is there a number, a percentage of the population where you think it's not 100 percent, maybe 40 percent, where you think things can really start to change for the better as far as a percentage of population vaccinated?
3: Sure. So in our modeling, uh, what we've looked at is if we can vaccinate about 6% of the population consecutively for three months in time, we we should be able to turn the number of new cases and and have that start to head downward on a sustainable level. Now, when you ask about herd immunity, right, traditionally herd immunity is going to be 60 or 70% of the population. But you have to remember probably somewhere between 10 and 20% of the population has already had covid um, so that means if we can vaccinate, call it about 40 percent of the population, um, we should be at, in a good spot.
1: And we're, we're at about five percent right now. So, Matthew, I think you're giving a lot of people hope, six percent a month, about 20 percent, plus the people that have had it already, plus people under 18 that will likely not get it or not need it as well. That we're, maybe we're talking spring. Right, Matthew? Where things not we're not solved. We're not out of it. But we can see the end. Matthew Harrison, Morgan Stanley, Matthew, great stuff. Really appreciate your analysis. A lot of hard work you guys are putting out. We appreciate it. Thank you, Matthew. All right, in there on on a positive note, folks. We are certainly getting there, and let's hope those numbers are right. Well, that does it for Worldwide Exchange. I'll be off for a couple of days. Squawk Box is up next. You have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC.
3: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
6: of a detour.